Good morning. Of the many parables Jesus offers us, I think that this one is one of the hardest to take in. Okay, well, maybe that's not quite true. The parable itself is actually pretty straightforward. The problem is the reality the parable describes is really hard. Peter questions Jesus about how many times he should forgive. Jesus stuns him by multiplying Peter's generous suggestion of forgiving someone seven times to 77. Jesus then illustrates the importance of that far-reaching spirit of forgiveness by sharing this parable. Now, I want to give a little context about the two different debts described in the parable. At that time, a talent was about 130 pounds of silver and was the equivalent of about 15 years of a laborer's wages. 15 years. This means that the servant, when you multiplied it out, owed his master about 150,000 years of labor. In other words, he would never, ever be able to pay his master back. A a denarius, by comparison, was worth about a day's wage, which meant that the second servant owed the forgiven one about a hundred days of labor. No tiny debt, but still paltry by comparison. Jesus chooses these debt amounts purposely. His listener at the time would have gotten the point of wondering how could that servant possibly refuse to overlook that relatively minor debt when he had just been forgiven an impossibly huge one. To me, the answer has to do with our habit of liking to count, to calculate to keep track of things, treating our affairs as if all of life is a big ledger book. For while the unforgiving servant's impossible debt to his master has been wiped clean, he immediately moves on to focus on his own ledger and the debt his fellow servant owes him. Notice Peter starts this conversation with Jesus from that same perspective. He asks Jesus for a number. He wants to know just how much will be expected of him. He wants to know how much is reasonable, how much is required. And so he suggests what by all accounts seems a more than sufficient amount of forgiveness. Seven times. And Jesus points out the short-sightedness of Peter's question by replying with a ridiculous, even impossible reply. You can hear Jesus saying, Okay, Peter, you want to play the numbers game? How about this one? as he proceeds to share a parable that includes a debt impossible to ever pay back.
The point is that Jesus wants Peter to stop counting altogether, simply because forgiveness, like love, is inherently relational rather than transactional and therefore cannot be counted. Interestingly, had Peter asked Jesus how many times he should love his neighbor, we'd more readily perceive his misunderstanding in that love can't be quantified or counted. Yet when he asks about forgiveness quantities, we usually miss his mistake. Why is that? I think it's because we tend to treat forgiveness as a response to the law. The law implies we have two options when someone has harmed us. We can either punish or forgive that person. And I don't think that's a helpful or accurate way to size things up. Law functions to regulate behavior by holding us accountable to certain prescribed and agreed-upon values and morals. Yes, this approach can offer us more room for relationships to flourish, but it does not constitute or govern or govern our actual relationships. What do I mean? The law can declare to us that it is right to help someone in need and wrong to hurt that same person. But the law cannot make us friends with that person, let alone make us love him or her. Forgiveness is an expression of love. It's not about regulating behavior, but rather about maintaining and nurturing our relationships. I understand there is at times a need to count in our lives. If someone is repeatedly unkind or hurtful, let alone mean-spirited or violent, we would hopefully want to put some distance between us. And yet, even that decision doesn't completely define our disposition to our relationship with the other person. It only demonstrates how we conduct that relationship. We can continue to love a child or sibling or friend who is abusive, but we don't have to put up with the abusive behavior or put ourselves in harm's way. Indeed, the most loving and forgiving thing to do may very well be to stop putting up with the behavior. Jesus' parable is an invitation for Peter to go deeper, to enter the relational dimension of his life that is no longer simply about behavior assessed on ledgers but about how he regards himself and others as valued people worthy of dignity and love. God created in us the capacity to love and forgive and accept forgiveness so that we might be drawn into authentic, non-transactional relationship with each other 
and with God. So you might be wondering, what about that harsh ending of the parable? It seems that the only thing this forgiving king cannot forgive is the unwillingness of others, the unwillingness of others to forgive as they've been forgiven. It might be helpful for us to keep in mind that this is a parable and therefore lives in the world of parabolic and hyperbolic exaggeration in order to bring home a point. No one lives perfectly according to Jesus' 70 times 7 kind of forgiveness. Which means that if we, wanted, if we wanted to read this parable literally, that is, make forgiveness into a law, then we are all doomed. It's interesting, Judy Nelson and I talked about figuring out which biblical version made sense to read of this text because there seems to be an inconsistency relating to whether or not they solely use the word servant, solely slave, or a mixing of those two words. Since that conversation, I read an interesting take on the judgment at the end of this passage, which may shed some light as well on these varying word choices in different translations. What if we imagine that rather than inflicting some old or new punishment on that servant who has now turned to an unwillingness to forgive another servant, that the king is actually only describing the condition his servant already lives in? It may be a description of the condition this servant already lives in? What if this parable points to the idea that the servant is already a slave to the world of counting and calculating and reckoning everything according to the law and will therefore remain a slave to that way of being until the end of time or until the time he can forgive others, whichever comes first? Is it that the servant is de facto or becomes a literal slave in human bondage, or is the servant in a perpetual state of being a slave to the worldly thinking that holds him back from experiencing relational freedom? Forgiveness is ultimately a decision about the past. Forgiveness is the decision to accept both that you cannot change the past and also that the past does not have to hold us captive. Forgiveness is a decision about the past that ultimately, ultimately determines the future. When you forgive, you release the past and enter into a journey to an open future. When you cannot forgive, you remain captive to that past 
Forgiveness in this sense is freedom. Freedom from the past, freedom for the future, the kind of freedom God wants for each of us. And again, let me be clear, this parable is not saying that we should allow people to treat us badly. This parable is not commanding anyone that they have to forgive. Forgiveness, like love, cannot be coerced, commanded, or forced. We can pray for it, for the ability to forgive those alive or dead who have hurt us, even if we have distanced ourselves from them for good reason. And we can pray that we forgive ourselves some of our own regrets, mistakes, and hurts, and even our inability to forgive others at times in our journey. And we can pray that we are able to accept the forgiveness of others when it is extended to us. If you're anything like me, this passage sets in motion memories of those people you have been reluctant to forgive. It sets in motion thoughts of those perhaps waiting for your forgiveness. Reading this passage often pushes me to ask myself time and again, What is holding me back? What quid pro quo am I expecting to make my forgiveness? Am I expecting in order to make my forgiveness more palatable, more possible in a particular circumstance? Are we still counting? Are we still feeling we can't balance the ledger to move forward until the other one gives us the I'm sorry we know we deserve? And I'm sorry that may never come. Forgiveness is love played out in the space of pain and hurt and upsetness. It may not lead to immediate satisfaction or directly to feelings of joy and happiness. Forgiveness means I love them and me enough to work to find some real way to be at peace with that relationship from the past or the present that will eventually take me to a place where I can live with it in the future. Don't you want to find ways to end the exhausting practice of keeping scores? Don't you feel the heavy burden of carrying such weight year after year? Don't we each want to know that even when someone has passed on, and there were wrongs left unreconciled, that you can do something in yourself that gives you peace. Sometimes it feels like we just can't let go of those nagging situations and wrongs that have left us scarred and often disabled mentally, physically and spiritually. 
I'm not telling you that forgiveness magically solves all of it. I am saying that it's a start towards any possible healing. And the start begins with oneself. It's helpful to remember that healing always leaves scars. And that's okay. Scars remind us of the past. Importantly, they remind us that in the present, they are gone. And remind us for the future that things can be different. So perhaps today you find a way to ask yourself some of these hard questions. Perhaps today you start positioning yourself ultimately to ask, can I forgive myself for this or that? Can I forgive so-and-so for this or that? And And perhaps today we stand reminded that the king in our story stands ready to help us to be set free from that bondage of keeping score. Will you pray with me? Holy One, forgiveness sometimes feels like the hardest thing. We thank you for your word that reminds us of the example you offer to us as you have removed any debt we have with you as far as the east is from the west once and for all. We ask, O God, that your grace would fill us as we seek to offer that grace to ourselves and to each other, especially in these days. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.